Well, thank you. I appreciate you letting me uh, be in your pulpit this morning. It's a privilege and an honor to be here. Uh, as he said, I am the executive director of the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. That's uh, just a big word for saying I try to herd a lot of turtles and uh, try to keep churches going in the same direction. We have about 300 churches here in, in Michigan that partner together to make a difference, to punch holes in the darkness uh, together. I found a long time ago, you can do a lot more together than you can by yourselves. And so that's what we're really all about, is doing things together and accomplishing things together for the kingdom, as you have directed. Uh, some have said, well, how does it feel to be at the very top of the, uh, the pinnacle of the leadership? I'm not. I'm at the very bottom. The church is at the top. I'm at the bottom. And that's the way it should be. Uh, we just do what you as the church tell us to do and direct us to do. And one of the things you've directed us to do here in this state is to have a state mission offering. Uh, once a year, we do an offering called the Francis Brown uh, Missionary Offering, State Mission Offering. It was named after a former woman leader in our missions area in this state. And uh, this year, in the last couple of years, what we have done with that mission offering is we use those funds to help pastors and churches who are having a difficult time as a result of the pandemic. And there have been many who've had a really hard time. And some churches were just not strong before they went into the pandemic. Now you can imagine what would happen. Now they can't meet. They can't get together. Uh, what do they do? What's going on? Well, many times they're, the first thing they'll do is they'll reduce their budget. And what gets reduced is the pastor's salary or something of that nature. Or a pastor becomes ill with COVID or, or they go through something of that nature. What you've been able to do is help over 33 pastors during this time. I'm able to sit down with them, and sometimes I give them a check for $2,000, $3,000. We've given over $57,000 to pastors because of you. You have done that. I didn't do it. I get the joy and the privilege of giving it to them. That, that's the fun part. You've given me that wonderful job. But you, because you give through the state mission offering, we're able to help those pastors, and we're doing that again this year because the pandemic is still lingering on. Things are still happening and the residuals and the results of that are still with us. So thank you in advance. Thank you now for giving to that. Thank you for helping other pastors who may not be as fortunate and other churches that may not be as blessed as are you. It's always a privilege to come here. It's always a privilege to be in this, uh, in this church to see what God is doing here and how God is growing this. And Pastor, I, I'm thankful that you're here leading this church. And uh, he asked me, to come and share from the Word of God today in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. I usually don't do a whole chapter, but this one kind of fit together for that. And, uh, but Matthew chapter 3. Another thing that Nate didn't tell, I, didn't, I didn't tell him was when I began looking at this passage, we call this the, the passage of the wilderness cry, so to speak. The, uh, John the Baptist crying in the wilderness. He had no idea that I used to be in a group, a Christian rock group, in my undergraduate work called the Wilderness Cry. Let me see if we can get a picture up there. Is that not amazing? Can anybody find me on there? I'm the guy that actually had hair right down here, uh, the next to the left there. I used to, that, I had it cut for that picture, I want you to know, and it looked really good, I thought. I used to wear it in kind of a ponytail in the back, and you know, those days are gone. So 
Anyway, I, I, we were part of the wilderness cry, and we traveled around and preached the gospel and shared the gospel through music, uh, wherever God would give us an opportunity to do that. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, but anyway, today we're going to be looking at a different wilderness cry, a different wilderness cry. It's found here in Matthew chapter 3. So if you would, look at your wor- the word there as we read it together. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For those who, for, for this, he, he, he who has spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around Jordan went out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to be baptized, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his sweet into the barn, but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. John the Baptist, a unique guy, just a, a, a wonderful, wonderful man. In fact, Jesus said, He was the greatest of all men. There's never been a man born among women like John the Baptist. He was just a great guy. And there he was. uh, John, literally, his his name means that God has dealt graciously with him. You ever feel like God has dealt graciously with you? You ever feel like you're a John in some way that God has been so good to you? I often say in my testimony and sharing with people, I should be a greasy spot on the Mexican border somewhere right now. That's what I should be. But God was gracious to me, and He's dealt graciously with me and brought me through all of my stupidity and my stumblings and lifted me up. 
That's what grace is all about. He said, well, I'm glad I deserve grace. No, you don't deserve grace. (laughs) You don't deserve anything, nor do I. But God has graciously shown His favor to you. And you're here today for that reason. As as the pastor was saying otherwise, you didn't just show up today. God had a plan for you to be here. He said, well, I made my choice to be here. No, God was in control of that too. He's working it out all things together for your good and His glory. He He had you here for a reason so that you could hear the Word of God today and know that you, like John, have been dealt with graciously. He was found there in the wilderness. Now, this wilderness area was... It wasn't total barrenness. That's, some people think, well, the wilderness means there's total barrenness, it's dried off. It, it, it wasn't that. It just was unincorporated. There wasn't much farming there. Mainly it was pasture area for uh, their animals that they would graze there. But he was there in that middle of that wilderness just proclaiming what God had called him to do. Now, I want us to look at verse 1. I'll break this down in these verses, but look at verse 1 through 3, and we'll see something about the appearance of John when he shows up here. First of all, we see the message that he brought. Look at verse three, 1 through 3. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, here's what his, his message was. This is what he's preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John, as I said, as Jesus had already said in a different time, that he was uh, the greatest man born among women. He was also blessed especially. It tells us over in, in Luke chapter 1 in verse 13, 14, and 15 in there and, and more later down into the next few verses there. It tells us how, how that even when John was in the womb of his mother Elizabeth, God was doing something special in his life. In fact, he said he was filled with the Spirit even while he was in the womb. Wait a minute, I thought... I thought What's in a woman's womb is just a fetus. It's not real. It's not alive. It's How can you fill something that's inanimate with the Holy Spirit? You can't. That's just another one of the scriptures that teach us that the baby in a mother's womb is fully alive and precious to God. Don't let, don't let those who twist and pervert popular, what I call junk science, to fit a social agenda, drive what you believe philosophically. Let the Word of God lead you. And the Word of God here tells us that John was already a special, living, precious creation of God in the womb of Elizabeth. So much so he was special, God filled him with the Spirit right there. It said also, when Mary came and Jesus was in Mary's womb, and when they got together and she was telling Elizabeth that she was carrying a child, it says he even leapt with joy, even while he was in the womb. How could he know to leap with joy if he wasn't a real being? He is a real being, even in a mother's womb. John was special, and God had put his hand on him and blessed him and filled him. Why? Because God had a purpose for John. He had, a, he had something for him to do. Folks, whether you believe this or not, I believe it with all my heart, God has a plan for you. 
He has something for you to do. He has a purpose for your life. So, well, I don't know what that purpose is. I've got a clue for you. Ask Him. He will tell you. Ask Him for the purpose that He has set out for your life. Listen to Him and then follow His Word obediently. God has so much for each of us. He didn't just, we didn't just happen to show up as, as human beings. God has a plan for you. Then I believe that plan is to have a personal relationship with Him through Jesus Christ and to be used of Him for the glory of Himself. Notice what John was preaching here. He, he was preaching to, to those to what? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He was telling people, Listen, you need to get right and get ready because Jesus is coming. You need to change how you're living and what you've been doing and what you've put your allegiance to and placed your love in and turn it toward me. You need to repent. This is, this is how some people see repentance. That you're going one way and then you turn around and keep going that same way. That's modern-day repentance most of the time. Folks, that's not repentance. That's just turning a little bit. True repentance is going one way, stopping, turning, and going the opposite direction. That's true repentance. In fact, the, the original language word there literally means to change your mind in such a way that it changes your actions. There's a lot of people who think and talk about repentance. They even maybe come to the front and pray with the pastor and cry and weep. Or maybe in a small group or in a setting, in a setting after church, you gather with somebody and tell them, I'm so sorry for what I've done. But if you, if you don't change your mind and you just keep going the same direction, that's not repentance. That's just an emotional event. Repentance stops, changes, goes the other direction. And that's what he was telling them. He said, listen, you need to stop and repent. Why? He says, for he, he said, God's anointed me to do this. He said, the voice of one crying in the woods, prepare the way of the Lord and make his way straight. He said, prepare the path for, the, for Jesus coming. There were many who held on to all kinds of religious ritualistic ways of connecting with God. They thought, if I do this ritual, if I give this offering, if I sacrifice this thing, if I do this, then God accepts me and I'm really right with God. John is saying, nope. You've got to change. You've got to change how you're doing what you're doing and quit focusing on self and focus on Him who is coming. That's what John said. He's coming. He says, do whatever it takes to provide the Lord with ready access into your heart and lives. Whatever it takes. Remove any obstacles, any sin, any false teaching, any culture, any traditions, any self-righteousness. Remove those things. Get them out of the way so that Jesus has a straight path to your heart. Isn't that amazing? That's what John was preaching. So, 
He said, repent, turn. I'm going to ask a question to you this morning. What obstacles are keeping Jesus from having a straight path in your heart? What are you holding on to? What ritual? What religious thing? What material thing? Maybe you have this goal in life that has nothing to do with God, but you want that more than you want Him. That's an obstacle for Him to have a straight path in your life. What is it that you're holding back? What obstacle? What are you making an idol in your life that keeps Him from being the Lord of your life? I'm talking believers here many right now. What is it, believer? What is it, Christian, that you're holding to that holds Him back? Wouldn't it be amazing? All of a sudden, the people of God said, Whatever you want, God, that's what I want. Whatever you need cleaned out of my life, I'm willing to let it go and let God do what He wants. You know this church building is not big enough. You know that, don't you? Because God would move in such a way that people would see God moving in people's lives and they said, I don't know what's going on there, but I want some of that. I want to see God like that in my life. The world is looking for a people who are truly repentant and have opened up their lives and said, God, do in me whatever you want to do. That's what John was saying. And his, he said, this is the message that I bring you. Repent. Turn to God. His mannerism were different as, as well. It was a different message, but he had a different manner. Look at, look at verse 4, 5, and 6. He says, Now John himself was clothed in a camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and the region around Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him, confessing their sins. Now, the whole deal here is John wore some very practical clothing. You see, that doesn't sound practical to me. It was. It was very practical. It was just a big... Itchy, you say, well, it must have been real comfortable. No, it was itchy. And he had this big robe, and he had a belt that he had tied around him. And, and really, it was kind of a coarse and rough thing, but it was practical as well. His food was locust and honey. He said, well, that couldn't have been real locust he's talking about. Yeah, it was real locust. Bugs, grasshoppers. And honey could be found readily in that area, in the region, in the desert. There were uh, bees and would form under, under rocks and clefts and areas and, and people who were astute at that kind of thing, they would, they would know where to look and they would go and get, get honey and, and you could always find grasshoppers. And I'm kind of that, my attitude about that is, you know, if you put enough ketchup on something, it's okay. Even a grasshopper. You say, wow, I can't believe people ate that kind of stuff. You eat oysters. I mean, that's nothing but a gut. I mean, think about it. Well, you put enough hot sauce on it, it's okay. No, what I'm saying is, he took that which was before him, very practical. He was so different. He was so radically different from the other religious leaders of the time. He was different in his message. He was very different in his manner. 
And the reason he put a belt on, I don't know if you've seen those kind of robes or understood what kind of robes they were. Uh, they'd get in the way. If you're walking and running, you that's not very good. So what they'd do is they would reach, they would reach back under their legs and grab the back end of the coat that was hanging down the back. They would pull it up and then put it in the belt and tighten it up, and it made these little britches for them so they could run and go about life. It was very practical. So different than the beautiful robes of the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees. And he said, listen, all of Jerusalem, he was as he's preaching, all of Jerusalem, all of Judea, and the region around Jordan went out to him. Now, I don't know that he emptied the entire city, but it was just everybody was coming to hear. They said, this guy is so weird. He dresses so funny, and he's got grasshopper legs hanging out of his teeth. We need to go see who this guy is. I've often heard preachers and others say, you know, if a guy will burn brightly enough, anybody will come and hear him and see. He was burning brightly for God. Different, unique, unusual. And here's what he was telling them, that they were to be baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. I thought it was wonderful this morning that we had baptism here. Now, baptism today was not exactly the same as he's talking about here. Remember, Jesus has not come yet. He has not given his life on a cross yet. He has not paid the ultimate price for our sin. He has not ascended into heaven uh, where he uh, makes intercession for us right now for God. He, he, that didn't happen yet. He was on earth. He was walking, and John was about to meet him and about to baptize him. And, and he's, he, he here these were coming, baptizing because, now listen, because they had made a determination to change their lives and no longer seek the ritualistic religions of the world to please God. They were turning around. It was a, it was a public or an outward proclamation of an inward change. They chose to repent, and they said, this is where it starts at. And that's what it showed. It didn't wash away sin. It didn't make them any more holy. I noticed over here that the Johnsons were in here. There's a little more dirt than there was earlier, but that's all. There's nothing else in there. It, it didn't wash away any sin. Today, this picture, today for a believer, is a picture of what Jesus has already done for them, his death, burial, and resurrection. It's also a picture of what is going to happen if we die before Jesus comes back. We'll not stay in the grave, but we'll be resurrected and enter into heaven. It's a beautiful picture. It doesn't make you more holy. And by the way, uh, those people were just as holy as they're going to get when they came into the water. It is a testimony of what God has already done and a picture of what God will do in the future. John was saying, it's a picture of you repenting. It's a picture of you saying, I'm willing to do whatever it takes for God to have his will and way in my life. Life. Now look at look at verse seven and seven through ten. Uh, what he's proclaiming. But when he saw the many, listen. All of a sudden, the Pharisees and the Sadducees started showing up, and he says, well, "You brood of vipers! Who warned you about the wrath to come? Who told you?" Now <laughs> he's kind of being a little facetious here in what he's saying. He said, "The whole deal is, you guys think that you can get to heaven by your own righteousness." by your own rituals, by your own goodness. You think that's good enough to get you into heaven. 
Now, see, the Pharisees were the uh, they were the legal guys. They were the legalists of the Jewish leaders. The Sadducees were, I would call, the the liberals or the the left leaning. The Pharisees had all kinds of rules and regulations you had to keep. You had to do this, you had to do that. Every, everything down to where, how they ate and how they walked, what the, how they dressed, everything they did. If you kept all of these rules and all of these rituals, then you were righteous. Whereas the Sadducees, Sadducees said, no, nah, we don't believe that. In fact, we don't even believe there is a resurrection from the dead. We don't believe they're angels. We don't believe there's another life after this. In fact, all we believe is this. Get what you can, why you can, here on earth, and that's all there is. That was the Sadducees. So you had two different groups. The extremes. We have, by the way, you know we have those today, don't you? They're, they're here today. They're, uh, we may call them different names, but uh, we still have those today. Uh, some who are rit- ritualistic and some who are rationalistic. Some who think, well, it's all here now and what we do with our minds, that's all there is. And then there are others who said, well, if you'll just do this, 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 then God will take you. Can I tell you something about both of those? (laughs) Neither one works. Titus 3.5 tells us, it's not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to His mercy He saves us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of God. You can't do enough righteous works to make God accept you. You can't rationalize your way into heaven and say, well, this is what I believe in thought, so I guess that's good enough. None of those things will work. And that's exactly what John was saying. He said, who told you to come like this? You don't believe this. You don't believe in a wrath to come. Some of you don't even believe that there is another life after this. You brood of vipers. He was very poignant and very pointed in what he said. Let's look at the prophecy that comes out of this. Look in verse 11 and 12. He said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy even to carry. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He has a winnowing fan, a fan that he... Uh, makes the fire hotter and gets all the chaff and everything in there. He's a, he, he puts that in his head, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, that's the believers, and those who are left over to burn up the chaff, which is left. He was saying, this is the message that Jesus is going to bring. He's coming. Jesus is coming. And all of your, all of your trying, all of your goodness, and all of your right, righteousness, your self-righteousness, is going to be like the leftover outside husk of the grain, it's going to be burned up, as will you. Unbelievable prophecy. Strong power. I want you to look now at the appearance of Jesus. Now Jesus shows up on the scene. This has just been John and all these people. Now Jesus shows up. Look what happens when he shows up. Look at verse 13 through 15. We see the manifestation, not only of John's humility, but that of Jesus as well. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John tried to prevent him, saying, no, no, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. 
John, John was just this humble guy. He truly was. Meant, even though he had he, he would assault hell with a water pistol, he was that kind of guy. He was just he, he had great courage. He was very humble. He sees Jesus coming to be baptized. And he said, Now, why in the world would Jesus be baptized? He hasn't, he hasn't got anything to repent of. It wasn't what Jesus was doing. Jesus was just trying to say, Look, this is a good thing to do. This is a good thing to say that you're submitted to the will of the Father. This is a good thing to show that you, it's no longer your will, but his will. And how many times do we hear Jesus say that? Not my will, but yours. And all he was doing is, is following along with the message of John that God the Father is in control of all. And while Jesus was in physical form on the, this earth, he said, I submit to the will of the Father and his righteousness. And it was a public profession, so to speak, that God was in control of all things. It was also a way to, to put his hand of approval on John in the message he was preaching. He said, it's a good, it was just a way for him to say, John is a good man. Listen to him. Pay attention to him. And so we see that baptism taking place and why he submitted to that. I couldn't, I never forget my, I, I pastored for 40 plus years before I became the executive director. And we, and I pastor in little churches and in larger churches as well, but I'll never forget. I, I was pastoring a church in Oklahoma, a little town of McAllister, Oklahoma. Our baptistry wasn't as nice as yours. It was built in, but the only problem with it, with it, it had a little stopper in the bottom of it. And if you were going to get the water out of it, you had to pull the stopper out. Well, the chain was broken on the stopper, of course. And there was no way to get it, but getting down in it, diving down in the bottom of the baptistry and pulling the stopper out. Well, I have two boys, and they always said, hey, Daddy, can we go swim in the baptistry and, and, and pull the stopper out for you? I mean, that's, you know, that's some of the prerogative, the rights that children of pastors get. They get to swim in the baptistry. And so we had, had our baptism, and that afternoon they went up to go pull the plug out for me, and it took them a while. And then it took them way too long. And I got concerned, so I walk up the hill to the house, up from the house, it was just below the, the church, and I walk up there, and I walk in the back door, and I hear my oldest saying, Daddy, watch this! And he's doing cannonballs into the baptistry. And the water is going up over into the choir loft. I'm oh, Lord, I've... I need to find another church quick. <laughs> Baptism takes on all kinds of forms for people. You, some try to make it more than it is. Some make it less than it is. But if you are born again believer in the Lord Jesus, it's one of those first steps. It's one of those next steps that you take to say, I'm no longer the same person I used to be. I'm dead to self. And now I'm alive in Christ. Now notice this anointing that comes. 
verse 16. When he had been baptized, notice, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. By the way, the word baptize or baptizo is, comes when we translate it directly from the original language. It literally means to put under the water. But some have said, well, our church I came from said it is okay to sprinkle. Well, sprinkling is sprinkling, but if you want to be biblically correct and follow the biblical directive, it literally says to put under the water. That's why we're called Baptist. I know that's somebody wonders, why are you called Baptist? Well, that's because we hold to the, the original language of being immersed. And so he said, look, he's been baptized. He came up out from the water. He, he was in, under, came up out of the water, and behold, the heavens were opened him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. We see just the, the anointing of Jesus at this time. Now, let me pull this all together. I want to show you something. This is, so, this is wonderful. Look at verse 17. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Have you ever tried to figure out the Trinity of God? You say, well, I don't, I don't know if that Trinity thing, I don't really know about that. I don't understand that. Here's a perfect picture of it. It just showed you right here. Here is Jesus, physically, man, God incarnate, in flesh. He's just come out of underneath the water, and he's standing there, and the Holy Spirit shows up on him. It comes down. The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God. And then all of a sudden, while he's there, God the Father in heaven speaks to him. He said, this is my son. I'm well pleased. Isn't that amazing? You have the perfect picture of the tree. He says, how did that happen? I don't know. I hadn't figured that part out yet. He said, what? Well, don't you have to figure it out? No, I'm not a Sadducee. I don't have to have a rationalization of everything and understand everything there is about God. I just believe by faith what he says. See, here's something I've come to a long time ago. If I could explain and tell you everything about the imponderables of God, that would probably make me God. Ask my wife. I am not. I'm glad I don't understand all the things about God that tells me that He is far above anything I can comprehend or understand. I don't want a God who's so limited and, and so finite that I can truly comprehend everything about it. Thus the Trinity of God. How? I don't know. But I believe it. Why? It's in the Word. If it's, I, I believe his word. If it's written in the Bible, I'll believe it till I die. And though the mountains be removed and cast into the sea, his word will last forever through all eternity. We just trust it. 
believe it, obey it, God will honor it. Just as they began coming to John the Baptist, he said, look, you need to make straight a way for Jesus. Which means cleaning up or cleaning out anything in your life, repenting of, truly repenting of, and turning to Him. Believing Him, trusting in Him, relying upon Him as God and Savior. What a wonderful message. What a wonderful truth. And I believe in my heart, God has a plan for you. Are you in the middle of what God has for you? You don't know Him as Savior. That's the first step. Ask Him to come in, take over, and clean up what you've messed up. He will. He said, well, what about, I've got to get everything cleaned up in my life first. No, He'll take you like you are and make you as you ought to be. That's the great thing about God. He just wants your heart. He wants the attitude. Are you willing? He'll do all the cleanup. You ever try to turn over a new leaf in your life? You do turn it over and there's a worm on the back of it. Yeah. That's the way our lives are. We can turn over leaves all our want. I'm just telling my friends, it's the hard attitude of repentance, and he'll take you just like you are and make you as you ought to be. I hadn't found a better deal than that in my life anywhere. But it's the truth. 